But we're talking a little bit about um, this word anamkara, which comes from the Celtic notion of uh, a deep uh, soulish friendship. Uh, we're talking about what we call like the art of spiritual friendship. And I keep trying to remind people this could be about you and your roommates. It could be about you and your college buddies. Um, I hope it would be about you and your, and your spouse, your partner. Um, not, that, not that that relationship is like all of the others in every way, but it certainly hopefully isn't less than a deep spiritual friendship. So we've been digging into that for a bit. We've talked about the possibility that um, that deep sense of, of soulish connection with a few other people is waiting for us on the other side of some kind of sacrifice. That, that's in the pattern of Jesus to lay something down for the people that we love to call them friends. We've talked about the possibility that um, to meet somebody else in a deep and meaningful way requires that we live in the depths of our own lives because if we are living shallow or superficial lives ourselves, if we're afraid of our own depths, and by the way, those deep places tend to be where our greatest energies and our greatest fears all live. But if we're afraid of our own depths, it will be a hard thing to meet other people in a deep and meaningful way. And we've talked about the idea, the possibility that that depth of connection that we experience with a few other people, that that actually happens within God somehow. And so to be awake and aware of the presence of God uh, between us and in our midst might actually help us um, discover the depth and the presence of another person in our lives. That's kind of where we've been for a bit. Today we're going to press a little bit further and we're going to ask uh, about for some, some wisdom uh, as a community about what happens when we start trying to move toward one, one another in that depth. Now, uh, I went to a Christian college, uh, which was really beautiful and really great, mostly. <laughs> there were um, some quirky things about it, some frustrating things about it. Uh, one of the really good and beautiful things about it was the depth of friendship that I got to experience there. Now, college in general like, tends to lend itself to friendship. I know not everybody, but most people experience a, a real deep sense of camaraderie with a few people in college. Some of that's probably just the stage of life that you're in. It might get intensified if you left home to go to college, and so you're all sort of there and vulnerable and afraid together, right? And you cover that up with, like, macho bonding ceremonies of some sort. That's called a frat. But, like, you... <laughs> Right? Like you're away from home, you're vulnerable together, you're trying new things together. In our case, uh, like all the freshman guys, it's a hundred guys, all lived in one dorm. So that meant two things. A, the dorm smelled very bad. And B, like we were, we were like in it together, right? The whole class of freshman guys. And so deep friendship was a part of that experience. And that was mostly really good. But there were also moments where the, the reach for deep friendship in that context sort of energized and enhanced by the, the Christian spiritual sort of context of that place, it could get a little wonky. It could get a little sideways. Example, one day I'm at the dining commons and I'm eating lunch by myself, which I actually was really good with. I, I kind of like uh, time for me and my food, you know, I'm very close to my food. Um, I experienced spiritual friendship with my meals, you know. So I'm there eating food by myself and a friend of mine comes across the dining commons and he sits down across from me at the table and I can tell immediately from his body language that something very serious and somber is on his mind. And he begins to speak to me and the more he talks, the more I can tell something serious, like something weighty is going on between us. And I think maybe he's struggling with something. Maybe I've hurt him somehow and we need to talk about it. I don't know, but I'm, I'm seeing the body language, I'm hearing the tone and I see that something is coming my way. And then I find out what's coming my way. My friend, my brother, my, my brother in the faith, right? Like he has come to confront me on something. And the thing that he has come to confront me on is that like 15 minutes earlier when I walked into the dining commons and sat down with my food, I didn't pray for my lunch. 
And I was like struggling to ascertain what this meant between us and why he cared so much, you know? And I was also really incensed because the fact is I had actually prayed for my lunch. Often, because I'm such a foodie, my preferred mode of praying is eyes open, so I can literally be like, God, thanks for that, and thanks for that, you know what I mean? Which, if you can say thank you for the college dining food, you're really a giant in the spiritual life. And so I would open my eyes and say, thank you for that and that. So that's what I had actually done. But at this point, I was miffed enough at the strange confrontation that was happening that I didn't bother to tell him that. And in fact, I decided that from that point on, I actually wouldn't pray for my meals just to say, I don't answer to you, right? So I'm, I'm kind of resisting and awkwardly wrestling with this confrontation that comes my way from this, this friend, this brother, you know, and, and he starts using all this language that was sort of common in that context. It's like, you know, you're my brother, man, and like, it's all about accountability, you know, and I just go deep, man. And I'm like, is this deep, right? Like, is that what we mean? Now, it's kind of a goofy story, but I actually raise it uh, because what I think can happen is in a context like this, the beautiful and really important and sometimes rare thing is that God might actually awaken within us, might raise our standard, might call us to a depth of belonging to one another. I think that's beautiful and uncommon in the world that we live in today. And sometimes what happens is when that desire gets awakened or stirred up, it can, it can be kind of immature, right? It can be a passion with little direction it can be um, a desire without many tools. And I don't really mean to make fun of my friend because I, in spite of how bizarre that was to me, I think there was something underneath it which was, I want to be, be like really serious about walking with other people. And I totally affirm that. Now, I want to talk about um, the tools though. I want to talk about the maturing because if we're going to be awake to the desire to, to walk deeply together, to walk closely together, to actually be in one another's lives, then we better not just have a passion for it. We better have some tools for it, some, some wisdom or maturity. In the scriptures, the good news is uh, we're not on our own. A uh, couple of assumptions in the scriptures that you see over and over again. One assumption written throughout the Bible is uh, the idea that we cannot heal on our own. We don't grow on our own. We don't become holy on our own. Uh, with a little bit of theological reflection, if God is a communion of some sort, a father and son and spirit, which is mysterious but written into the pages here, if God is a communion of some sort, then I can't even bear the image of God on my own. If God is, by definition, a communion, right? So written through the scriptures is that we cannot do it on our own. We don't grow on our own. We don't heal on our own. We don't become whole on our own. We don't become holy on our own. But also written into the scriptures is... That's kind of difficult. So let's work it out. Let's sort it out together. Let's figure out how to like, be in the depths together. Uh, one of the places that you find all of that coming together, theology and spirituality and nitty-gritty everyday human relationships, one of the places you find lots of that is in the letters of the New Testament. And you'll have this experience if you ever open a Bible and you read one of these letters written to a Christian community in the first century, you'll, you'll feel this, this holding everything together, theology and spirituality and big abstract ideas and experiences of God are held together with these very practical sort of everyday encounters that are being described and shaped by the wisdom of the scriptures. And one of the places you find that is a letter to a church in Galatia. It's called Galatians. So I just want to work on this passage with you guys for a little bit because the proposal I'm going to make is that there's a little bit of wisdom here uh, for people who are actually waking up to the way that we belong to one another and the depth that we want to experience together. Uh, so we're going to jump in. You guys ready? Come on, guys. 
Uh, I'll take it. Galatians chapter 6. By the way, our coffee team told me you drank like more coffee in 10 minutes today coming in than normal. So you were either anticipating a sleeper or, or I expect like some serious response from you, okay? This is Galatians chapter 6. Uh, Paul writes and says, uh, by the way, as we read this, just listen for the sort of communal belonging and connection in the way it gets worked out, okay? Galatians 6 uh, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Now, the proposal I want to make to you is that in a couple of ways, this text is holding together two ideas, and that in the holding together of these two ideas, there's some wisdom for us that want to move into deeper relationship with one another, whether it's your marriage or your college buddies or your roommates or maybe people that you're getting to know in this community. I want to say that in a couple of different ways, this text is holding together two big ideas uh, and that there's a wisdom to be found in the way it holds them together. The two big ideas are essentially um, that there are things that belong to us together communally. There are shared things, and there are individual things, and you've got to keep an eye on both. So first of all, um, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That seems to assume a pretty intense experience of belonging to one another, Right? Uh, to restore, like it's on us to restore one another and to do it gently. And if somebody's caught in sin, apparently that's something that belongs to a few of us. Now, side note, uh, these churches uh, are communities that lived in very, very, very close community. Uh, these are like house churches. These are uh, churches that experience a sort of relational proximity that um, in the sort of modern expression of church isn't quite the same here. So I don't know that this is saying that uh, because you saw somebody whose name you don't know who also goes to this church on a Sunday out doing something on a Friday night that you don't approve of, I don't know that this is saying that you should come up to them at the bar, okay? But this seems to suggest that there's, there's a depth of connection that exists between us and we really do belong to one another. And there may be a few in your life and you may be in the life of a few that, uh, that when something's really out of whack in your life, it would be like, appropriate uh, for them to be a part of that somehow. And then when something's really out of whack in their life, it might be appropriate for you to show up and be a part of that somehow. So we, we sense this sort of communal belonging in that, right? But watch what happens next. Uh, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now, in the Greek, if we were reading this, uh, that first you, you who live by the Spirit, that you uh, translates roughly to y'all, which I hate because I'm not exactly a Southern file. Uh, so if someone's caught in the Spirit, there's a big collective you. You belong to one another, work on this together. But when we get to the, the you, yourselves and the you may also be tempted, all of a sudden the writer switches from a big plural pronoun that's talking to a group of people to an individual pronoun that's for one person at a time. You have this communal belonging to one another, this communal responsibility for one another, but you, 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 individually, you, there, there's a, there is a singular you. You have some kind of responsibility for your life, for your faith. Watch yourselves. You feel that kind of tension? We belong to one another. We're working together on all of this. But you individually and I individually have something to work out on our own, right? 
There's another way this shows up, this big communal thing and this individual thing, and it's in a couple of uh, words that seem to be doing the same work in the passage until you drill down on them a bit. Did you notice uh, at the beginning we read, carry each other's burdens. That's verse two, carry each other's burdens. And then just a couple of verses later we read, each one should carry their own load. Carry each other's burdens, each one should carry their own load. Now when I first started working on this passage, I legitimately got frustrated because I have moments when I'm reading the Bible where I think the editor messed up. And if you don't have moments like that when you're reading the Bible, I don't know if you're paying attention because there are moments when you're reading this thing and you think, I don't know if that makes sense. Did Paul like, forget what he said two sentences earlier? This feels like a bit of a contradiction. Which is it, Paul? Do we carry one another's burdens? Or is it like, no, 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 you carry yours and I carry mine? Well, a little bit of help comes from the Greek here as well. So let me show you the word that's used for burden and the word that's used for load. First of all, the word for burden in verse 2, those funny-looking characters at the bottom are the Greek, and it's pronounced bare, not the workout trend. Uh, bare for burden, okay? Uh, let's try saying that on three. One, two, three. Bare. bare. This is the word for burden, and this means the kind of thing that can um, be a, a hard thing to carry. Okay. Now, a few verses later, we have a different word for load. The word here is uh, fortion. Let's try that on three. One, two, three. Fortion. Now, fortion comes actually from shipping trade in the first century. Uh, this describes the actual cargo that an individual boat or vessel carries. But if you look up this word in a lexicon, you'll discover it actually means those things which you cannot give to another person, but you carry on your own. Again, the text is saying there's two things going on here. There are burdens that we carry together, but maturing means growing into the ability to carry those things which are mine to carry alone. Maturity means growing into those things, into carrying those things which are yours to carry, which are not anybody else's to carry. Uh, what I want to propose to you is essentially what we're talking about here is boundaries is a wise and mature sense of what are those things that we are to carry together and what are those things that I can't carry for you and you can't carry for me and I shouldn't try to carry for you and you shouldn't try to carry for me. And I would argue that a church that doesn't carry burdens together isn't a church, it's just a collection of people who believe the same things or maybe they don't believe that at all because like a church that doesn't carry burdens together doesn't seem to believe the things that Jesus taught us about how to be a family. So a church that doesn't carry burdens together is missing something. But I would argue a church that doesn't also understand that you've got your things to carry and I have mine is a church that risks collapsing under the weight of a sort of immature passion to try to be compassionate without understanding how we actually work that out. And this isn't just for churches. This is for you and your friends. Like a deep connection with the friends that you love that are in your life will mean there are some burdens that you carry together. But um, all sharing burdens and no individual responsibility will lead to toxic codependent relationships. A marriage. A marriage certainly means carrying some burdens together, right? But if you think that it's your spouse's job to carry everything for you, that marriage, I fear, will collapse under the weight of that uh, sort of immature expectation. And if your spouse thinks it's your job to carry those things for them, I fear for what that means. So let's talk a little bit about boundaries. Let's talk a little bit about burdens and loads. Those things that we carry together and those things which each person must grow into carrying on their own. I think discerning the difference is really critical here. And I just want to offer a sort of shorthand summary of some work this, that I did this week to try to understand 
how, how we know the difference between a burden that we carry together and a load that each one of us must grow up into carrying on our own. Uh, first big idea, and this is really simple, one thing that none of us can carry for anybody else is the wanting. One thing that none of us can carry for anybody else is the wanting. Have you ever wanted somebody else to heal more than they want to heal? Have you ever wanted somebody else to grow more than they wanted to grow? Have you ever wanted somebody else to wake up, but they don't really want to wake up because it's cozy in that nap that they've been taking through existence? You've discovered, perhaps, that you can't want that for them. Now, I'm all for wanting our friends to grow and heal, right? That's part of loving the people who are in our lives. But you can't do their wanting for them. You can't do their motivating for them. And I would suggest that anybody who's had any experience in recovery movement that's uh, really helped people heal and grow would be a powerful witness in this community to say, you can't want it for somebody else. They have to want it for themselves. And this sort of deep frequency connection that we long for with one another, uh, you might have to recognize that if they don't want that, if they don't want that connection, you can't want it for them You've got to let it be, right? Uh, another sort of uh, discernment point, and this might seem um, so obvious it's unhelpful, but I think we could ask ourselves, is it reasonable to expect a person to carry this? There are some circumstances, some burdens, some difficulties, some issues, some things in life that it wouldn't be reasonable to expect a person to carry on their own. And I would argue that's where the church is supposed to show up. I would argue that's where we're supposed to show up for one another. But if you give yourself a little bit of objective distance and you look at the thing in question and you say, should a mature person be able to carry that? And the answer is yes. Then if we show up and carry it, we might actually be the thing preventing a person from growing up. Right? If, if you're carrying something that a person should carry if they're mature, and you're carrying it for them, or if you're asking people to carry something for you that a mature person ought to be able to carry for themselves, that that relationship might actually be preventing the kind of growing that these friendships are all about, right? Um, your own sort of emotional stuff. Look, um, it's reasonable that a mature person can handle their emotions. Doesn't mean you stuff them, doesn't mean you hide them, doesn't mean that you don't feel them but a reasonably mature person ought to be able to handle the scary things inside. Again, doesn't mean you don't talk about them, doesn't mean you don't open up, doesn't mean you don't have a good cry sometimes, but it does mean like this inner world that I have is actually not your responsibility, right? And your inner world is not my responsibility. It's reasonable for a mature person to carry their emotions and work them out for themselves. Uh, we could go on and on, but I think that's a helpful question. Is it reasonable for a mature person to carry this? How about this? Am I, if I'm wondering, like, in a friendship or in a marriage or in this church or in a life, um, are we talking about a burden or a load? Are we talking about something that I should expect other people to carry with me or something I should have to carry on my own or I should have to own? Um, you might ask, what about your role in this? Are we talking about your family, for example? And is it possible that there are things that a dad needs to do for the family? And I'm not saying it's not incredibly difficult. I'm not saying um, that we're ever gonna be perfect at this sort of thing, but are there things that family needs from dad that dad needs to do? Are there things that family needs from mom that mom needs to do, that kids need from parent? And um, is it possible that we're tempted to look around and expect other people to carry those responsibilities? Are you husband or wife? Is that one of the roles that you fill? Is it possible that there's a certain um, 
a certain thing to carry with that role that nobody else can carry for you. Nobody else can be your spouse's spouse. <laughs> so something that like, you need to learn how to grow into and carry doesn't mean that friends won't help you get there. doesn't mean that you can't uh, learn from other people or open up about how hard it's been. But is there something about the role that you live in that helps you discern what's a burden that we can share and a, and a, and a load that I must carry in my life? Uh, I'm learning this as, as a, a lead pastor for a community. So I've been a pastor my entire adult life. I've worked in church for quite a while, but I've never been the lead pastor of a community. And I'm learning in this role. There are things that I'm tempted to carry on my own that I shouldn't. And there are things that I'm tempted to hope somebody else will carry that I need to carry for this role. Um, so I better get clear on that, right? Because if I'm carrying a burden that I shouldn't carry on my own, I'll break myself. But if I'm trying to ask others to carry a, a load that's mine to carry for this community, I might break this church. And that's really important for us to get clear on. Role analysis might help us figure out what's a burden for us to share and a load that we carry on our own. Uh, and then one more sort of just proposal if you're trying to sort this out. Maybe this is about you and what you're asking from other people. Maybe it's about other people and what they're asking from you. But is the thing that we're asking to carry together, is it related to a moment or a season or is it a pattern? Is it related to a moment or a season or is it a pattern? I, um, I took a big risky move uh, that cost me a lot of money um, about uh, 10 years ago, nine years ago. I won't get into it. Um, but my salary uh, was half of what it was the week prior. And um, I did not fully uh, like acclimate to that new reality. Um, and so there was a moment where I had to ask a, a friend for some financial help. And they were incredibly generous to me. And I'm really, really grateful. I was honestly in a pit and I had a hard time figuring out how I was going to get out of it. And they came alongside and gave me a little bit of help. That was a moment. If I had called them a month later, and a month after that, 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 and said, hey, my deep brother, we're in this together, right? We would hopefully recognize this is a pattern, and I am failing to carry the load that's mine in my life, right? Um, this could be money. This could be, this could be emotional baggage. You, you might have a friend who's going through a very hard season, and it's a burden to carry together. And for a season, they need you to be there on the phone for a while every couple of days. They, they need to know they're not carrying the burden alone. But if a moment or a season is turning into a pattern, you might need to recognize that you're not helping them grow into carrying their own emotions. Does that make sense? Uh, another discernment mode. Is this a moment or a pattern or a season? And I think deep, soulful friends will be there for one another in the moments, in the seasons, but they'll call out the patterns if need be, right? And I think a church, by the way, is a community of people that knows how to show up uh, in a moment, a moment of need, a season of difficulty, um, but a church should not be codependent in some unhealthy patterns. Okay, so that's just a little uh, sort of uh, digging around on um, how we might sort out the difference, how we might draw some boundary lines, right? Now, here's the thing. Okay, so if, if we're not going to be codependent and we're not going to... Um, we're not going to be complicit in toxic patterns in one another's lives if we're going to discern the difference between the burdens that we share and the loads that each person carries. Then what, what, what about, like, well, how do we move toward one another? Like, are there actual sort of, like, practical ways that we move toward one another without violating these boundaries, the, the wisdom that we see in a passage like Galatians chapter 5? 
Well, I just want to propose a couple uh, ideas. And again, this is sort of a summary from some long reading through the last few weeks. My first proposal, if you want deep, soulful friendship in your marriage or with a few close friends, and you're wondering like, how to not violate boundaries, how to not develop codependency or um, get this wrong, I would argue, first of all, just decide that you will resign from a supervisory role in any other adult's life. Decide that you will resign from a supervisory role in any other adult's life. Part of what went wrong with that friend that came to me at the luncheon was like, I'm sorry, I never asked you to be the boss of my lunchtime prayers, right? Decide that you will resign from a supervisory role in another adult's life. Can I propose this for your marriage? Can I propose this for your roommates? Um, now, it doesn't mean that you don't confront problems that are going on. If they're doing something that's hurting you, then to confront that isn't you supervising them, it's you just taking responsibility for your life, right? It's saying, I will not participate in your dysfunction. That's completely different. You might keep dysfunctioning, which is a verb I just made up, you might keep dysfunctioning on your own, but I'm gonna say, no, I'm not gonna be a part of that. I'm not gonna get dragged into that. That's completely appropriate. Uh, but you don't have to be the supervisor in their life, and the good news is you're not, whether you knew it or not, right? Um, and you might need to uh, disabuse somebody of their idea that they are the supervisor in your life. And that can be really challenging, uh, more on that in a bit. Um, once we've gotten rid of the, the supervisory roles in one another's life, then we can actually seek permission to walk with one another in one another's lives. It would be okay to give permission to a friend or two to challenge you in your life. It would be okay to give permission to someone um, to push back when they see you walking in a way that doesn't have integrity with what you believe or with who you're supposed to be. It would be beautiful to give permission to that, but that's very different than a sort of self-appointed supervisory role, right? And then I want to suggest that in those relationships of permission, there's a beautiful, compelling power in honest questions. Not the kind of questions that a lawyer asks of a witness on a stand when you're trying to get them to a certain answer that helps your case. Not that kind of question, but actual honest questions. Uh, this comes also from the discipline of spiritual direction, which is an ancient and practiced way of walking with one another. Uh, powerful, um, meaningful substance in asking serious questions. I remember uh, I had a friend um, uh, that I was living with for a while. And this is when there's a bunch of friends at the house that we talked about last week. And um, this friend of mine um, kept ending up in toxic relationship patterns. And it got to the point where we could see it coming a mile away. He would move up from one girl to another. And it's like every girl that he found himself in a relationship with um, was very manipulative, very controlling. Uh, when he would try to break it off, sometimes they would go full on stalker. Like we had issues where we had to like ask women to leave the house. And, he, you know, he would finally break up with one, and then he would land with another. And all of us around could just see this pattern a mile away, right, you know? And it was interesting to, to see the different ways that we as friends tried to do something about this, because we loved this friend, and it wasn't helping him grow or become whole or heal from anything. And it started with a lot of us coming at him, like, confrontationally, like, I'm going to tell you what's up, right? I need to let you know that you're being stupid right now. Um, and surprisingly, that didn't work. And there was another round and another girl and um, a number of us were feeling some stress for our friend who we loved. And then there was one night um, where my posture had shifted and his posture had shifted and the relationship stuff came up. And I realized that I had resigned from my supervisory role in his life. I realized I didn't have a right to that role. It wasn't my place. 
to tell him what to do with this stuff. And on the other side of that resignation, there was this opening up that allowed me to just ask some honest questions. And I found my curiosity was actually growing about like the, the deep parts of him. Like how are you, what's driving that, right? What's going on underneath the 13 layers um, that keeps sort of sending you to that kind of relationship? Like what's going on there, right? And through a long conversation with lots of questions that I honestly wasn't asking with any kind of agenda because I'd resigned from my supervisory role in his life, um, he ended up like with a bit of an awakening, I think. And um, it's funny, he and I are still close friends. And in fact, I uh, just saw him uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we were reflecting back on that night and that conversation <laughs> and that something had sort of opened up in him and something had opened up between us. And I would say um, boundary keeping does not mean that we don't get curious about one another's lives, but we do it with a certain posture, right? And if somebody says, uh, that's enough, that's enough, right? But if they let you in, if, if they're willing to let you in, you don't have to tell them what's up or prescribe for them their life, but what if you love them enough to actually get curious about their heart? I actually think a lot of us are just desperately aching for somebody to love us enough to be curious about our inner world, to be curious about the demons that are there, the wounds that are there, um, gently, 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 to see if they're willing to let you into those places and sort of work them out together so they're not so alone there. Honest questions are powerful things. And then lastly, I would say there's one other thing that you could always do for somebody that never violates a boundary. Something you could always do that I find incredibly meaningful and powerful, something you could always do that never violates a boundary. You ready for it? This is, uh, this is super sophisticated. You could pray for them. I really mean that. Um, occasionally, this might mean a prayer related to circumstance. It might be a prayer that something would change around them. Um, I'm not sure what the equation is about how and when God answered those prayers, frankly. Um, but I always believe it's appropriate to pray a prayer of sort of inner experience. Um, what I'm absolutely convinced of is that, um, that God is on the hook for helping us grow and heal and become holy. I don't know if God's on the hook for changing our circumstances or making things easier, getting rid of our pain, but I'm convinced that God has chosen to sort of make himself available always for what we are becoming and how we are healing and if we are being transformed. So when a friend has a circumstance that's difficult, I will pray for that, but I don't know what God's gonna do with that. But when a friend has a moment where they could grow or heal or wake up, I'm absolutely convinced that those prayers always land on a receptive God who's with you in the project. And so you might desperately want your friend to change or heal or grow, and you might have to curb your activity a little bit so that you don't violate boundaries that are appropriate between adults, but you could pray your brains out. You could pray your knees off, right? For the movement of their life towards some kind of healing or wholeness, I don't think that'll ever violate a boundary, and it's always available to us. Um, there's one other passage in the scriptures that has been in my mind a lot as we talk about this. Because uh, one of the problems with not minding boundaries between us is that we take our eye off the ball, that we actually lose sight of what we're really um, engaged in. Uh, there's this moment in the book of John. Uh, it's at the very end of Jesus' time with his friends. And he's having a difficult conversation with his friend Peter. Peter had betrayed him when, he was, um, when Jesus was executed. And now Peter is sort of insecure in his relationship with Jesus and he's trying to figure out what God has for him. And Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says yes, and Peter's a little 
confused and hurt about what's going on between him and Jesus. And into that uh, moment, we read this, uh, verse 21. Peter, by the way, Peter looks over and sees John, another friend of Jesus, a fellow on this journey. He sees John and said, um, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Jesus has given Peter a particular word about Peter's future. And Peter is wrestling with it and he's uncomfortable with it. And then he turns sideways and he sees John and says, but what about him? Which sounds a bit childish in this moment, right? And Jesus says, what is that to you? You must follow me. Um, I'm absolutely convinced uh, that that question is being posed to us when we violate the proper boundaries that exist between us because we get distracted, we go sideways. And I think at some point, Jesus is saying, look, love them, yes. Share some burdens with them, yes. But you're not their boss. They're not your boss. And at the end of the day, whatever's going on with them, you must follow me. When I was in college, um, I had a, a very, very, very deep connection to a friend uh, I'd call him kindred, I'd call him a soul friend. He was also a mentor of mine, he was a bit older than me, and he was incredibly important in my life. And then there was a season toward the end of college where I was really clear on what I was being called to do next, what it meant for me to stay awake and alive to God's calling on my life. And so I told him that I was making a decision that aligned with that. It was about leaving school and taking this job. And my friend didn't understand it, and he didn't like it, and he didn't respect it, and he got so mad at me. I mean, like, physically livid angry with me. Um, he stopped speaking to me for a month. And I had some sense before I told him of my decision that it was going to be rough. And then um, he tried really hard to talk me out of my decision. And um, there is so much in my heart because we were deeply connected, because we were friends and because I trusted him. There's so much in me that thought, what about him, Lord? Like, isn't he supposed to agree with me on this? Isn't he supposed to see it? And it was in that season that I very clearly could like sense God is saying, hold on, like, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now that might sound like it pits my faithfulness to God against a deep connection with other people. But here's the thing. Um, he ultimately came back around and we reconciled in a very serious way and we're still friends today. And I, I had a meal with this person um, just a couple of months ago and I was just thinking all these years later on the other side of that conflict, how we just sort of instantly pick back up where we left off. Do you know what I mean? It's like we can run into each other and three seconds later we're just sort of churning at that deep level of friendship again. And I was thinking about the fact that I don't know if that would be available to us if I had lost sight of the boundaries between us and given up on what God was calling me to. Because one thing I'm certain of is that a certain kind of shallow life is waiting for us if we don't get brave and take the steps that we have to take. And that it's hard to have deep friendship when we're living in the shallows. And so uh, in sort of a roundabout way, I think that um, learning that I had my life that I was responsible for and he had his, and following where God was leading me was actually helping me grow a little deeper. So the next time I saw my friend on the other side of that reconciliation, um, the deep parts of me were still able to connect with the depth of him. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. Uh, we are made for each other for sure. We belong to each other for sure. There are burdens that we are here to carry together for sure. That doesn't change the fact that I actually believe God asks each of us 
what is that to you? You must follow me. And that some of the depth that we are waiting for is on the other side of taking some responsibility for these lives that we live. Sound good? You guys all right? Okay. Uh, let's stand to your feet if you're able. Uh, remember, next week uh, is communion. Jesus' table, don't miss that. And there's no Tuesday gathering on July 3rd. Um, you know, we're, we're a bit cozy, so let me just offer this benediction to you before we move on. Uh, actually, let me say this. Uh, sorry, on your way out, because we're a bit tight on time, if you came into the parking lot inside the gated area, please exit the other end of that parking lot so we have sort of a one-way flow uh, with new cars coming in. That being said, grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.